an Ironic Media production. Visit us at ironickmedia.com. All right, welcome back to the Stark Transformation Show. I'm your host, Amy Stark. If this podcast has been broadcasting healing vibes into your life, please follow on Apple and Spotify and leave a review. Your review helps other people find this podcast and the transformations continue. And don't forget to share this podcast with anyone you think will benefit. Let's heal together. And some will even say that it's dangerous for you to acknowledge those other things in any capacity or to, to spend time looking at it. And I, I think that's a really big distortion in a dangerous way for one's own protection because to not understand that there are predatory energies, like you have to know about your surroundings. Otherwise you make yourself susceptible right. without knowing about it. So to me, it's like one of these rifts in the spiritual world where I'm sure people will disagree with me on it. And I feel really strongly that those are, there are distortions in the teachings and it worries me because right. it can lead people astray to the point where it's actually to their own detriment. Welcome to the Stark Transformation Show. I'm your host, Amy Stark. In this show, I'll be sharing messages of hope, healing, and transformation. I'll teach you how to shift your mindset, conquer your fears, and become the best version of you. You'll hear incredible stories of transformation and about the extraordinary journey I've been on for well over a decade. My connection with energy is so strong and I can't wait to share it with you. Let's get started. All right, today on the podcast, I have Mark Gover. I am so excited to talk to him. He has been on the show four times, this is his fourth time, and he actually inspired me to start the podcast. Mark had a podcast that still has a podcast out that's called Where Is My Mind and is super full of amazing information about consciousness. So check that out if you are interested, but you are a favorite on the podcast. People love your episodes. The last time you were on, we talked about deconstructing the matrix and about your book and upside down liberty. Today we are talking about the end to upside down contact and whoa. <laughs> Before I get into all the amazing parts, Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me back. Mark, your book blew my mind. I, I cannot believe the amount of content that you were able to find around contact from aliens and ships and CIA documents. I mean, you're always like finding these documents and I'm like, whoa, like how do you, first of all, I'm curious about your research. Do you do all your research yourself or do you have people helping you in finding this Maybe there are others in other dimensions that are helping me, but <laughs> I don't know, but it's, it's me. My career has been around doing things like this. First in undergrad, I had to write a thesis. I went to Princeton and you have to write one to graduate in most of the departments. So I have that kind of an inclination and then working in the business world, especially my, the last job I was in for about 10 years, advising companies on their business strategy, I had to be an investigator to look into everything that was going on in their business and then come up with recommendations and things like that. Okay. So that requires getting up to speed on a totally new industry sometimes. Technology is a very broad thing and that could span many industries. And I would have to learn about a totally new industry every time, learn about how the technology works, what the landscape is. And it's, it's a process of learning how to learn about things. So for me, it's just what I've been doing and trained to do. And I'm also very curious. So when I'm interested about something, then it's like on turbo 
that I, mode. I, 100%. I mean, I don't know how you could write a book that fast and be so dense and full of information and so well-written. I mean, I did not find any errors. I, I always find them because that's just my, how my brain works. Like, it's amazing. Like, this book is, is so well-written. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I don't <laughs> know how welcome. to explain. A lot of it just comes from passion. And I can't even explain where that comes from because it goes from thing to thing yeah. very quickly. When we last talked, I wasn't looking at some of these topics. I mean, I had been familiar with them. It wasn't, right. this was not totally new to me. When I started my journey six years ago, when I first heard people on podcasts talking about spirits and consciousness, aliens and multidimensional beings was a topic that came up very early for me. So mm. it's been on my radar and I've known about a lot of things, but I never had the, the push to write a whole book on it and that it was going to be about contact specifically. That kind of, that congealed a few months after my previous book came out, which is under a year ago. Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's amazing. I get why you wrote about consciousness so thoroughly and how the mind works and how we're all connected. And then you went into this piece where we're, I mean, guys, we're literally talking about alien contact. Like it's nuts. <laughs> like I'm telling you, like I, I have an awareness. Like I even have seen probably what was a UFO out in Colorado. I was out walking with Aiden one day and I was like, what is that? It was way up in the sky and it was shiny and it like caught my eye and it just was like hovering there and then was gone. And it was so fast that I was like, there's no freaking way. Cause I could see other airplanes that had gone by and the speed at which they were traveling and the height of that was, it was just did not make any sense. So I was like, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> like, uh, this is a large field. I don't know what's going to happen. So I have had other encounters where I've been sleeping and there's like a very, 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 very bright light. Like it's hard to explain. It's like the sun or something in my third eye waking me up. And there's a sense of like people trying to get something from me or give me something in my brain. Like it's just the weirdest feeling. Like there's a transmission of information and I'm always very afraid. So I just tell them to get out of the, here and I cover up my third eye. I, and then I go to sleep. I don't know how I do that. Like, that's the other thing is in your book, there's a part where this guy was like, what I was doing didn't make any sense because he was witnessing a UFO and like some amazing things that they were doing at their neighbor's house. He called his daughter over and his daughter was looking and he was looking. And then I think he called somebody else over and, and he was looking and nobody recorded it. And he's like, it makes no sense, especially since a teenager was there because she's always on her phone. Like she would have pulled it out and just been like, whatever. And then by the time that he did realize he went and got his, his camera, it was gone. So when I'm laying there and I'm like so afraid and I just roll over and then I go back to sleep, it's amazing like that I can do that because most of the time people would just be up. Yeah. Well, what you're describing gets to an important broader point, which is that these beings, whoever they are, and when I say these, it's probably a variety of species. So it's mm -hmm. not a uniform monolithic thing. And it's important to keep in mind, Right. like some might be very benevolent, others might not be, and there might be a variety in between, but they're very advanced, many of them. Very. And they have an ability, it seems, to engage in mind control, to alter mm -hmm. our consciousness. Yep. And that's important to keep in mind because maybe we have those abilities innately and we just don't use them, but whatever they have, they can use it and they do seem to use it on people. So it's like we have to get to consider this whole phenomenon. It requires getting rid of our paradigms about what we think is real and possible because we're dealing with something much more advanced. Right. Well, I mean, and clearly, so what's one of the documents that you had talked about was around how a plane trying to make a right turn would take half of Ohio. I'm, I'm not doing it justice. Maybe it was a quarter of Ohio to make a right turn, but these UFO crafts can make an, a turn instantly 
and they go up to like 11,000 miles an hour. These are all documented things. And I mean, just the, sh I, I'm telling you, my mind was blown. Like I was reading it and I'm talking to Finella, like being like, you got to hear this. <laughs> this is crazy. I can't believe it. Like there's so the projection. That was the other thing that was so interesting is how they were projecting images onto themselves to make you feel more comfortable. Various ways they did that, like either they're having sex with somebody or whatever. I mean, that was some crazy shit, but the <laughs> owl or the deer. So like people would be like, oh, look at that very large owl and like pull over and like take a look at it. And then two hours later, they're like, what the hell happened? Where did that time go? Very interesting stuff. A little freaky, obviously, because of the ability to change our consciousness and make us okay with what's happening, right? Based on those that have been abducted or those that have had contact or encountered them. Honestly, I, I never thought that I could talk about this on a podcast because it's so out there, but like you brought mm -hmm. this information and made it so concrete in the way that you're just like, okay, so like, fine, dismiss one or two or three accounts, but this is like thousands and thousands of accounts and they're very similar. And these people don't know each other and they come sometimes from kids saying this stuff and you're like, they don't have the programming. They wouldn't know to say these things. Mm -hmm. So it's just far too much information and coincidences to explain it away. And that's what your other books have been about. It's like, listen, everybody likes to explain this stuff away, but like, if we really take it all in, you can't logically dismiss it. Yeah. And it's not always something that can be studied in a laboratory because we can't control the phenomenon. Maybe aspects of consciousness we can, like we can do studies on telepathy and we get a statistical effect. But in the book, I quote Kerry Mullis, who's a Nobel Prize winner in chemistry. He also invented the, the PCR test, incidentally. So that's a separate topic. But he had an encounter with, <laughs> uh, he had an encounter with a glowing raccoon in the woods. Oh, and the, that's right. I remember that. The Go raccoon ahead. spoke to him and said something like, good evening, doctor. And then a few hours <laughs> went by, doesn't remember anything. It's called missing time. Very common yeah. phenomenon. His flashlight was gone. Yeah. And he made a comment that this is not the sort of thing. We can't bring this into a lab. It's called anecdotal, but that mm -hmm. doesn't mean it didn't happen because it did happen. And when you take lots of anecdotes from people in independent areas, children, people in different cultures, different time periods, and they're saying the same thing, even if it sounds insane to us, mm -hmm. why why would we just dismiss that? The reason I think people dismiss it, I've been trying to get into the psychology of it. And it's because many people, I think it's human nature to be biased by what our individual personal experience is. Mm -hmm. And if we haven't personally experienced something, there's a skepticism with it. And then if, if we haven't personally experienced it, that we have maybe sources that we consider to be credible, it's like the next best thing we can do. And then how do we discern those things? And then people have their biases. So, but that's the big hurdle for people with this stuff. It's basically the reticular activating system. Your brain finds the things that are alike to what you know and what you've experienced. Yeah. So like you said, if you don't have that experience, you don't have that pattern of looking for it. But yeah. I have the pattern of crazy shit happening. So I look for it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm okay. I'm, I'm curious. Now, honestly, I have to say, like, having this book even around me, I'm sort of like, it feels sort of like you might be telling them that you're okay with contact. And I'm like, very... <laughs> back and forth about that because based on what I read, it's not always great contact, but some things are really cool. Like there's healings that have happened. And then there's also the, the DNA, like the strand of hair that was from somebody who didn't make sense to any race on the planet. That was crazy. So there's a lot that's interesting 
One of the cool things I thought was the nukes suppose going over the areas where there's nuclear weapons and like disabling them and making sure that they don't get launched. But then there was one time where it was enabled, but then it got mm-hmm. caught and right. stopped. That was the other thing is like, when you look at all of these submissions of contact from that, there's like a small percentage that have been really negative. Yes. Right. So the majority of them seem to be very curious, wanting to learn, wanting to experience the planet, ensure our safety, ensure the progression of the human race, the evolution, the consciousness, et cetera. It was actually kind of comforting to know that most of them are, are okay. Mark, I'm like, I can't even just like going in my head. The whole thing, like I was thinking about just while I was talking, like the portals that they create, like so that you can go to other dimensions that yeah. people talk about this. Like, so let me tell you a story about that. Oh my God, please do. Cause I, I was doing another interview recently. The interviewer was reading my book and I think it was in a hypnosis session or something. Things came up where he was going through a portal with beings. I don't remember exactly the story, but he said once he read about it in my book, he now thought that memory might've been a real one. Cause he initially just dismissed it that, Oh, that's just something my mind made up. And then he, he read that people are reporting these beings coming and creating a portal to some matrix reality, they call it. This is reported often. (laughs) And he had personally experienced that before he read it in my book, which was super interesting because I'd never met anyone who had that experience. My son, when he was four years old, maybe even three, came down from his room and he was like, hey, mom, I was just playing with the boy in my room. And it was 9 a.m. in the morning. And I'm like, there isn't a boy in your room, like thinking in my head. And he was like, but then he jumped into the portal and left. And I was like, what? <laughs> so it makes sense that you pour, I mean, I don't know. I've been to Sedona, so I, I felt those energy vortexes and I understand that they're more multidimensional and all this stuff. What's very interesting is the mind control or projection of mind or talking to mind to mind to these mm-hmm. people, like they will say like, I just knew that this person was good, or I just knew this is what I was supposed to do, or there was no actual physical communicate, like mouth oral communication. That's very interesting. Right. And based on what I looked at back in my first book and podcasts, telepathy is something that has been shown to be real in the lab where people do statistical analysis. And it's, it's one of the six Sigma statistical results, meaning it's more than a billion to one odds against chance, Holy moly. Where, meaning that people are telepathic, even people that don't claim to have special abilities. It's just very subtle and you need mm-hmm. statistics to show it. So some, it might be that maybe one day you think of someone then they call you and you say, oh, that's just a weird thing. And, but if you look at it in the lab, statistically, something's happening sometimes. Now, if you apply that to beings that might be more advanced and have harnessed these abilities, which that's what it seems like we're dealing with, Mm -hmm. that's their mode of communication. They know Mm -hmm. how to get into your mind repeatedly. And interestingly, so when people talk about contact, it's usually around UFOs and aliens. And I agree that's part of it. But what I try to do in the book is expand the notion of contact beyond that to other phenomena of consciousness, because that's something I've studied a lot. And in those other phenomena, like in a near-death experience, when people are in other dimensions with their consciousness while their brain's turned off, mm-hmm. and they see things in the room when they're hovering over their bodies in an out-of-body experience, they're resuscitated, and they tell the doctor what happened. So these are very yep. real experiences, not hallucinations. Oh, maybe sometimes they are, but in, in many cases, they're real. They encounter other beings and other phenomena of consciousness as well. Where, I, where people encounter beings, they talk about this idea that the beings are telepathic. So it just, it appears all over the place, mm-hmm. not just in the UFO phenomena. So what is that telling us? To me, it's telling us that these beings 
whatever species they are, they're way more advanced. They've tapped into something that's probably innate within us that we're not as tapped into. Yeah. Well, I have to agree. I mean, when I speak with spirits on the other side, they're not obviously speaking to me. It's more of just telepathy, like energy and information coming to me. And and then it's like decoded or something like that within me, like to understand what they're saying. And sometimes they'll just send a feeling that's so strong. It overwhelms my whole body. And I have to take a minute, which is really, really a beautiful experience because it's always about a lot of love for the person. The other thing that you talked about in your book around what's been proven in the lab is remote viewing. So the Mm -hmm. CIA just said like, without a doubt, remote viewing is real and it works. Yes. These are publicly available documents that have been declassified. And many of the documents were declassified by Russell Targ's son. And Russell Targ was one of the leaders of the program, the US government's psychic spying program in the 1970s. And apparently his son, believe this is the story, is an attorney who was able to use the law to get certain documents declassified that wow. used to be just top secret. So you can go and my, my first book, I actually have a, a scan of those documents that anyone can download. It says remote viewing is a real phenomenon. Implications are revolutionary. This is our own government saying this, and they were using it for practical purposes to mm-hmm. use their mind, to go to other places, to see things with the mind. <laughs> it's crazy. When I was reading in your book where you talk about that guy who was remote viewing a situation where there was a fire, it was bombs or fires, but like- Dresden in Germany. Right, right. So it was something in the past. He was remote viewing it because, and without any knowledge about what it was, started to be in the house or like was in the house and felt like he was on fire. Then he actually started to feel like his skin was burning and actually had burns on his skin for up to 15 minutes after he left that remote viewing session. And then they went away, which is nuts. The whole thing is crazy, not crazy, crazy, but like mind boggling. But it made me think of multiple personalities and allergies. So if you're in one personality, you can have an allergy to something. And if you're in another one, you don't have an allergy to that thing. And like hives or head to toe hives can go away in a instant when you switch personalities made me think about consciousness and energy and how powerful the mind is. And that that blew my mind as well. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it points to the idea that what is happening on the level of our consciousness has a real impact on the physical body. And that the example that you gave is a, is a very extreme one where the guy had a burn mark and that actually, I interviewed him for my first podcast. His name's John Vivanco. So he's featured in episode four of Where Is My Mind, but also the full length is for under subscription on my website. But he also has a book where he's written about this stuff. So back Hold to up. this point. We, do you ha- I didn't even know this. Is this new? You can get more information on your website from the podcast at, under a subscription? Yeah, there's a subscription for all 50 of the interviews that I conducted. So it's like over 60 hours. Oh, wow. Yeah, which okay. I, not that many people have signed up, but the people that have. Well, that's because we didn't me, know like, about it. <laughs> yeah. They, they say like, wow, I listened to all of them. The ones that have done that. And it's- <laughs> I love how you almost crossed your eyes there when you said that. You're like, I listened to all of them. Like, it's just mind boggling. Everything. Yeah, it's I, a lot of information. And I know that because I conducted all the interviews and I know what that did to me. And that yeah. was already after I'd written my book. Most of it. Some of it was in the, the first editing one. process. The first book. So this is mm-hmm. 2018, 2019, those interviews. So- Yeah. John Vivanco is the remote viewer that I interviewed. And back to your point about the impact of consciousness and the mind and the body is where I was headed, is that he had a very extreme example of where his consciousness went somewhere and had a physical effect on his body. But what about the more subtle instances where our consciousness goes 
in a certain direction, even in our daily lives, mm -hmm. what is that doing on a subtle level to our bodies? Mm -hmm. I know. And yeah, that, and then even beyond that related to the alien abduction phenomenon, sometimes the people's bodies don't go anywhere. Right. And this that is what confuses people. <laughs> it confuses people because they're like, no, it can't be a real abduction. It's got to be a hallucination because their body didn't go anywhere. But wait a second, if their consciousness went somewhere, maybe on a different dimension of reality, it was happening to them. And maybe it does have some effect on their body, but not the extreme effect you might expect. And I, and I want to compare this to something that really blew me away when I was researching because I didn't know this until I got deep into it. The research on DMT, dimethyltryptamine, the psychedelic, which is found in nature and actually is produced by the body, but it's typically decomposed very quickly. So we're not tripping all the time when our body is secreting it for whatever reason. But if there are large amounts of it that are not decomposed, then you would have a big trip. Right. So what researchers have done, in particular, Rick Strassman from the University of New Mexico, he was able to get a study approved by the government, which is very difficult to do. He was giving DMT intravenously. So he was giving this artificial amount of DMT and people would have these crazy trips for in the range of minutes, maybe 10 minutes up and back, maybe some were longer or shorter, but in that range. And some of them were reporting that they had an abduction experience. They were being procedures that were done on them, all mm -hmm. the things that you would hear from an alien abduction outside of DMT, it was happening to them while they were sitting with the researcher on DMT. So their body didn't go anywhere. And interestingly, John Mack, who's the Harvard psychiatrist, head of the psychiatry department at Harvard, Pulitzer Prize winner, he died in 2004, who studied alien abductions and concluded that these people were not psychotic. He became very interested in DMT as well. He endorsed Rick Strassman's book on DMT because he found this too, that sometimes people's bodies didn't move, but their consciousness did. And he was not discounting those. Yeah. And I, I love how, wasn't he the guy that they tried to say was, did something wrong with his research and they like picked apart everything and he almost like lost his credibility, but then in the end realized he did absolutely nothing wrong. And then they said he's in good standing at Harvard yes. or something like that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Harvard went after him, but yeah. this is what happens with right. friend, if you want to call well, it. That's why I'm worried about you. I mean, you like how much more honesty can you put out there? Some well, people the don't want us to know this. Like uh, last night I was like thinking about our, the interview and I'm like, you can't handle the truth. Like <laughs> from Jack Nicholson, when he says that, because it's like, can you freaking handle this truth? Like, <laughs> it's like a lot of truth coming at you with all your books. I mean, it's awesome. And I definitely believe in what you've provided here. I, it's just what I know to be true just from my experience of 16 years of being in this field, but go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not for everyone. I agree. I just am a person that is curious to know the truth. I think it's part of our spiritual journey because unless we know the truth, how can we know how to live? Right. To me, that's like, there's no option. You have to learn right. the truth, but yeah, the other difference yeah, that's how I feel, but not everyone feels that way. So I guess right. those who are attracted to my work are going to be people that are interested in that too. And that's my audience. It's not going to be everyone. So I just have to accept that right. as much as I would love to get stuff out there because I think it's transformative. I know how transformative right. it's been for me. So I, when I get interested in this stuff, I'm like, I just want to share it with everyone. So I write these books to get it out there and yep. some people are okay with it. Others aren't, but I'm also, I'm not in academia where as many of these people are like John Mack was at Harvard. He had to deal with, with that kind of thing. I'm yeah. also not at a major institution. When I wrote my first book, I was at the firm that I spent 10 years at. I be, had become a partner. I actually wrote the book before I was a partner, but I was working my way up. And it was a small firm with people that I, I entered the firm very early on. And it wasn't like a big hierarchical institution. And it was a very open-minded group of guys. So they were awesome with that. They let me do it. So I don't have the constraints that a lot of people do. 
if I worked at some big company where you can't speak outside the box, then it would be mm-hmm. different because then it's like your job would be at stake. Now, if this sort of thing probably will close certain people off to me because they're not going to be as open in the future. But to me, that's okay. Cause then I'm going to attract the ones that are more resonant. Right. I mean, this is like next level talking about this stuff. When I was reading about, oh God, it makes me like nauseous, like the implants and things like that. And the surgeries that these people have had. I mean, there's just no mistaking that, right? Like, I mean, dismissing it. It's not like people are doing this to themselves, like the implants that move in them when <laughs> intelligently yeah. and also have a signal that they don't understand what the signal is and why. And they've been studying it for 25 years, making sure that they know or trying to figure out what the hell it is. Right. These are implants in a person's body where they don't know how the thing got there. And Uh some of them have been surgically removed. There's a book called The Aliens and the Scalpel, and it goes through the whole surgical procedure, including how he did this voluntarily because it costs money to do all this stuff. And pictures of the, of the, the implants that were removed and two different surgeons for on different people were trying to remove an implant and the implant moved away from them. Yeah. Intelligently, like you said, not all of them, but another interesting fact is that the implants, his name was Dr. Roger Lear, that he was extracting from multiple people. Some of them were identical. He called them cantaloupe shape. They were, it was like the same thing. Right. So what does that imply? There is an intelligence that's putting stuff in people's bodies without their knowledge in very strange ways. Right. And one of the other strange things he found, which for him was a big deal as someone who's in the medical field is that when he sent the sample after he extracted it to the pathologist- Oh, this freaked me out. There was no inflammatory response in the cells that you would expect from a foreign body being in someone's, in this case, I think it was a foot. And the the pathologist was basically like, what's going on here? Because the pathologist didn't know where it was coming from. Didn't one of them just disappear too? Didn't it just like evaporate? I, I remember reading something about that. Yeah. So there are reports. I think this comes from Roger Lear when he was looking at past attempts to remove implants, that there were very strange things that happened where people were not able to get the evidence. Right. Like they just evaporated as soon as they were found. I mean, this intelligence is so much more than what we could ever even or currently can imagine. By bringing this information forward, like you really start to realize like this is some big deal shit. We got to look at this. So I'm curious, what do you think is going to happen in the future (laughs) or where are we going with this? What's your feeling after reading all this research and and doing all these interviews? Well, to me, the phenomenon seems to be very ancient. So it's not just like this started happening. Can yeah, I tell you that I, I sat down for the podcast to be like, okay, what is the message you want me to, to share with the audience? And it was the history of our planet. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what? Yeah. I was crazy. not expecting that as I am an open book. Like when I, when I'm channeling that down, I was not thinking that would be the message. <laughs> so yeah, the history of our planet, like you said, this has been happening for a long time. Right. And who, what are these beings doing with us? To what extent have we been genetically modified already? Mm-hmm. What is the nature of this interaction? So I really don't know because it's not new and we have existed for this period of time and we've kind of gone along as society. So it makes me think that there is, they're intervening, but there's a level of our own responsibility as a species to do stuff. And, to, and I say this at the end of the book, for us to decide which side we're going to tap into, we're going to decide we're going to tap into the the unconditional love side or the absence of that, the good or the evil, if you want to call it those things. So ultimately 
I think that's where it, it ends up, which is where my mindset was before. So in some ways, my mindset hasn't changed. It's just that there's more granularity around our around the surroundings in our world and the types of forces that can influence us. But I do still think we have the innate power as spiritual beings to try to go for good rather than for the dark. And depending on how much we do that collectively, we'll probably determine our future. Right. We have a lot of work to do here. <laughs> it's interesting. One of the things that I've read before, so I have, I'm RH negative. That supposedly is like partly alien component, as well as I believe the MTHFR is part alien component. Mutation in MTHFR. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard, I believe that's what I heard. So if I'm really honest with myself, I do have some alien-like qualities. I also have angelic qualities. I also have qualities of somebody who's been here multiple times. And I also have heard in a, before I even heard of any of this in a meditation that I was Pleiadian. And I was like, what the mm -hmm. hell is that? So there are many children, many people who have a feeling of having other lifetimes on other planets or that they've come here and then they miss home and they're like, what the hell does that mean? Like, I remember I used to look up at the sky and be like, I miss home. And I didn't even know what that meant. It was only until I had done a lot of work on myself that I was okay to be here that I felt, oh, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be right now. And it's not where I'm going to be forever consciously, my consciousness. And it was interesting how that evolution of me, because I remember it being such a big deal when I actually was okay with being here. Like a hundred percent, like this is where I'm supposed to be. Not like, oh, well, I'll, I'm here now, but I'll be there later. Or that's yeah. where my people are. So, and I remember I met somebody at one point in, in my career, a couple of people actually that, that actually were like, yeah, I'm alien. Like when I was little, I used to speak to the radio and <laughs> trying to get contact with my family on the wherever. And other people have just been like, yeah, that's just who I am. And I know it. So mm -hmm. I don't doubt that we are somewhat hybrid, integrated beings. And that's partly like the energy healing technology that comes through is a lot of times from these beings who come through other people. Like even Eric Pearl talks about ch channeling. He came up with reconnective healing and he like he channeled these beings and their energy and healing qualities or whatever, and then wrote a book from it. It's not new is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Well, on this point, and, and this is something that I did research very early on, almost six years ago. In past life regression hypnosis, people often report they have visions of, of a past life not on earth as an alien being. And one woman in particular, Dr. Linda Bachman, who this, she's also in my 50 interviews for my podcast in the subscription for Where's My Mind. She's not in the eight episode series because we didn't talk about aliens in that. What, first of all, she was not into past lives. And then she had an incident where something, I think it was maybe a deceased colleague came to her, something like that. Very mystical and it changed her perspective. She got into spirituality and then began doing past life regression hypnosis, where she was taking people back to their past lives to help them work through traumas and wasn't looking at aliens. And then she described, I think it's something like over 50% of her clients started describing past lives, not from earth. So she was like, I've got to look into this. And she wrote a book on interplanetary souls. Hmm. And she describes the characteristics that are very common among these people who have memories of a past life, not on earth as an alien and the struggles that they have in this life. And what you described, Amy, is one of those struggles oh. <laughs> of not, not feeling like they belong. There's yeah. a checklist of yeah. things. I, I should read that book. It's fascinating, for that sure. Is, that is fascinating. I love when people who you would not expect 
dive into this stuff. Like you, you were <laughs> in the, you're not a likely candidate for writing these books. Like you said, the, these people who are doing the research, even the guy who came up with the PCR test, he's like, listen, there was a glowing raccoon and it said, hello, doctor. It's like, what am I going to do? I am a doctor. I, I wouldn't be looking for this stuff and it found me. So I do appreciate that when people who are very unlikely study this stuff and get this information. Well, and for me, it's not coming from a direct experience. So many people who write in this field have had a direct experience, which probably colors their opinion. Now, I haven't had one, at least none that I remember. It's possible that we all have, including your audience, people listening right now. Maybe you've had one that you don't remember because they're able to essentially wipe our memory out. That's part of how it works. So I leave that open as a possibility, but I have no conscious memory of an experience at all. Right. Like not they even do close. Wipe people's memory. Yes. So, but <laughs> so for me, it's, it's coming from what I'm researching from other people's experiences. Yeah. I'm just literally taking in what all this research says. And when you listen to the same thing over and over again, you start to see a pattern. It's like, okay, this is too bizarre mm-hmm. for these people to be describing it. And what's their incentive to come forward with a, such an insane story? Right. In most cases, it's going to hurt your life and your right. career to talk about how you went on an alien spacecraft and they started injecting you with stuff and they extracted sperm and eggs, right? Like you don't want to yeah. talk about that. Like you have a people. child that you know of that's like in an alien civilization, like, the, yeah. like there's crazy shit. They're like, yeah, no, I have, I have a love for that child. That's over there. It's very weird that you were holding your hybrid child on a spacecraft. Yeah. These are not things you want to talk about necessarily. <laughs> no. And people are saying that this. you were training the, the, how about the, the ones where they go in and they're like having a dinner party and they're trying to train them how to act among us. Like what the hell? Yeah. And this is a really controversial area. It's worth bringing up because the next question after you accept the reality of the, the abduction phenomenon is what it, why are they doing this? Why are they creating a hybrid being that's part alien, part human? And what John Mack, the Harvard psychiatrist, came up with was that this is about our evolution, the evolution of consciousness. So often people come back from an experience like this and they're transformed spiritually. Mm-hmm. And even Kenneth Ring, the psychologist from the University of Connecticut, who used to study just near-death experiences, he decided to compare the psychology of a near-death experiencer with a UFO contact experiencer. And he found that there were similarities, even though they had different experiences, like a near-death right. experience is different than a UFO, right. but they were spiritually transformed. They became more spiritual, not religious. They had Kundalini activations, mm-hmm. like spiritual energy. So John Mack was more in that vein where this is something benevolent, even though it might be traumatic for people. And even it might be an evolutionary insurance program where if we wipe ourselves out, at least there's the preservation of some of the genes. And some even say that there's a seeding program where they're seeding other races on other planets using our genetics. Hmm. So that's the, let's say not evil version or less evil. Then what you're referring to is Dr. David Jacobs and some others believe this too. And he's someone who's worked with people who've had these contact experiences, sometimes using hypnosis. And what he has started to see is that there's a change in what the people report to him. And it's become more like these hybrid beings are being created to infiltrate the planet and to take over. So he describes what his clients are telling him, which is that they're even training the hybrids to be more human so that they know how to integrate. And in his book, he actually calls these beings hubrids, meaning that they are indistinguishable from humans, but they have the enhanced mental capacities of these other beings. And maybe even they don't have the empathy that humans have, which is a scary thing. So essentially a psychopathic (laughs) mentality that looks like a human that's being implanted here to blend in 
I don't know if it's true. I really don't know what, what to believe with all this, but right. like, how can we know for sure? Right. When this is a Temple University professor coming out with multiple books, he he's very convinced of this. And I, I really don't know what to think about it other right. than there is an abduction and maybe there are multiple agendas. I, I kind of, I allude to that, that yeah. there could be some of them that are doing the dark agenda and others that are light agenda. Yeah. I feel like we're good. I feel like there's, there's definitely a dark agenda. I, I feel like we have way more on the light side and part of the dark's job is actually to bring the light. So it's, it's not something I like. Also, I just want to say, FYI, there is a chapter in the book, which if you are highly sensitive, skip over or skim till you can't take much more because Mark does bring up some of the things that we don't want to know about, but is happening on the planet and is very hard for anybody who has a lot of empathy, has, is highly sensitive, is a normal person. You just can't read it without feeling awful. So just be careful. There is one chapter. The other stuff, I mean, is also very weird and freaky, but I was able to handle it. Yeah. Well, I want to give a little context with it without going into the details, just like spiritually, how I think sure. about it Yeah. is for most of us who are good, especially people in like your audience of people that are trying to evolve spiritually, we cannot conceptualize of a certain level of evil. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize that level of evil existed to this degree and sophistication until I started researching, even before this book, I knew about some of this stuff. And it's important spiritually to know about that because there is an energy that wants to violate people Mm. and it thrives from that. Mm -hmm. And without understanding it, it's difficult to look at the world because we can't conceive that there could be a psychopathic leader. And this is my previous book and end upside down liberty. I get into this. It's an important point to reinforce though. You can have someone that looks very benevolent. They're psychopathic though. They can hide, they can act like chameleons, Mm -hmm. but they are like evil geniuses. And spiritually, it's it, to me, it's like spiritual bypass not to acknowledge the existence of those things. Right. And in the same way that spiritual bypass is dangerous for the individual in that, like, let's say you have trauma and you're going to ignore the trauma because it's too dark. That can be troublesome because then the trauma is going to come back and bite you in some way. Right. To me, this is like another version of that bypass on a collective level to mm-hmm. acknowledge these energies exist. And that's why I thought it was important to show that and also to show that the beings that exist in this universe, not just humans, there's a spectrum of angelic to the worst evil that is imaginable in a form of some kind of intelligence. It's true. In the beginning of March, 2020, a friend of mine was like, Amy, there's some research you should be doing and do not go past this point. She's like, it's just not going to serve you. I've been there. I can just tell you that it's absolutely awful. You will not be able to handle it because you have a son and you won't be able to parent the same way. You won't be able to live your life the same way, but just know that that's out there. (laughs) You don't need to know the details. And that's basically what I'm saying is like that chapter that I was like, I can handle this. I already know about some of this stuff. And then I was like, I just can't, like, I can't, I'm like, it's okay. I can skip this for right now. Yes. And that was me really toning down some of the details. So I, I, that's, it's an important warning. And I give a little warning before it starts to get gory in the book. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. And and for people who have experienced these things, it can actually be a major, it can be really detrimental to bring back those memories without a prompting. That's why I felt like it was responsible to do that. So I would encourage people to go to their limit in that stuff. It's, it's one section of one chapter and then maybe a few references to it later. But I just, I, I think it's important to acknowledge the reality of it without diving into right. details. We need to that's know there. that that stuff exists. We just do. 
in order to be fully conscious and make better choices and be aware because not everybody has our best interests. Not everybody is on the same team, has the same values. That's been coming up a lot actually, is that once you get along the spiritual path for a long time, you do adopt a lot of these principles and then you just, they become so innate that you think that other people have those same principles or ways of thinking or mindsets or on the same sort of mission as you to help other people. But some people are just stuck in their trauma and maybe partly a different energy than you are. And and so it's just important to really check in with your gut and just be like, is this person really who I think they really are? Do I really want to see this? Because it means that you may not be friends with them, or it means that you may go in a different direction. So leaving those people behind is in our best interest. Yeah. I think it's part of the spiritual journey. It's a really Mm -hmm. good point you're making. And maybe another reason I feel so compelled that I needed to include at least some of this in the book is that many spiritual teachings that I think are otherwise incredibly strong lack the understanding of anything that's outside of love and light. And some will even say that it's dangerous for you to acknowledge those other things in any capacity or to to spend time looking at it. And I, I think that's a really big distortion in a dangerous way for one's own protection, because to not understand that there are predatory energies Like you have to know about your surroundings. Otherwise you make yourself susceptible without knowing about it. So to me, it's like one of these rifts in the spiritual world where I'm sure people will disagree with me on it. And I feel really strongly that those are, there are distortions in the teachings and it worries me because it can lead people astray to the point where it's actually to their own detriment. Right. I definitely on my spiritual journey, there was a probably the first five years or six years, I, w- I would just guess, but I was all love and light, like, don't you don't need to look at the bad or whatever. And then it was like, it, it was very much in my face that I had to look at it. And then I did. And I am grateful for it because it, it really does. You do need the dark to have the light. Like you do need to see what's there, like the trauma or the deception, the whatever in order to have the light. And I, and I do think that it is, like you said, is it's a disservice to not look at it or know about it at least. Or the thing is, is there's so much programming and conditioning that even still 16 years later, 17 years later, whatever the hell is I'm into this journey and I have a psychology degree. So I understand the mind very well. There's still programming that I have that I'm like, Oh, are we still subscribing to that? (laughs) Meaning me like, Oh yeah. Wait a second. Why does he even go to school for this many hours? And why does he have to go 180 days? Like who the hell decided on that? Why is summer break this long or this short? In my opinion, how come they can't teach him in three hours and then let him play for six or whatever? Like, wait, what's going on here? So like, that's just the recent program that's that I'm going through and just like dismantling and being like, which part do I want to keep? Which part do I want to leave? If we aren't looking at all of this, then we might just subscribe to things that we're not really ready or wanting to be a part of. Yeah. And you might not ask the question of how might a very cunning person try to be deceiving me? Right. How how might they deceive me with this thing that looks good on the surface? Right. Right. A lot of parents would be like, school's great because their kid is gone and they can go to work and they can make the money. But like, for me, I'm like, wait a second, these are precious years and moments and times with my son that I'm just blindly handing him over for. And I understand the value of education. I was a teacher. So it's not like I don't understand the value of that. So I'm just like wondering, is there a better way we could be doing this? (laughs) So that's where I'm at right now. And I'm not sure why it's coming up for a reason, I'm sure. And there's a lot of things going on in society that we really need to be questioning because it just... 
just saying, oh, it's for the better good or greater good, or let's do this because it's the right thing. Like that's not okay. Because yeah. who's saying it's the right thing? Right, right. Uh, who who establishes the norm? Right. Is what it comes down to. And then do we just go along with it? Because, oh, they they say that they care about us and they they care about really benevolent things. They're compassionate. Yeah. It's the wolf in sheep's clothing. Right. Without the spiritual understanding, it requires a degree of cynicism. You have to be a little bit cynical to be yeah. like, wait a second, maybe there are people that are trying to fool me. Right. Maybe they're not, but I have to look out for myself. Right. Follow the money. That's usually one of the answers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, why they would want you to, to do something against what you think you want to do. Yes. So I want to this follow the money thing. I've been thinking about a lot. I mean, I agree. That's my first instinct too. But then there's the metaphysical part of it because sometimes I'll see things that seem like an agenda where it actually goes against one's financial interest. And in those cases, I wonder if an agenda does exist, if it's at a metaphysical level, like if there's something to be extracted from people by getting them to do something or by getting them to be in a fear mindset, for example, like mm -hmm. metaphysically that can be extracted. That's even greater than money. Hmm. Wow. So you're saying if when people are in the, the fear mentality, their whole life is really taken away from them and they're, they have nothing. I mean, because they're just constantly in fear, right? Is that what you're saying? Like you're saying, follow the money to try to look for where an agenda might be deceiving right. us. Right. And I'm saying, I totally agree with that. And I'm wondering if there's something else that can be, that we should be looking for. Oh, right. The where the, they, the, they might be trying to deceive or put out some agenda that might be against their financial interests, but will induce some kind of a fear energy that feeds darkness that they mm. want for some reason. There's metaphysical right, right. stuff right. and magic involved that yeah. I think has to be included in our thought process. Right. Ugh. Gross energy. I do want to still emphasize that there are people that got healings from these beings that have visited. Yes. So like looking at the, the good stuff and even from what seemingly was like the bad guys gave a healing, which also they were like, we don't even understand that. Right. Wasn't there one instance or. Yes. So yeah. David Jacobs, who has this very dark view, it's all the, the abductions and hybridization program are about planetary takeover. His book, it's called Walking Among Us. The most recent one is all about this. And he goes through what people are saying to him. And it's insane with the reports of how they're being told to train the hybrids, like basic things, how to blend in our society because they don't know how our culture works. Right. And he's writing about all this stuff. And in his books. Wait till they have actually, to learn English. <laughs> It's, okay. But it's like, think of start from scratch is what it's like for these beings. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so he yeah. claims, but in one of his earlier books, he acknowledges, yes, people do come back with healing sometimes, but his claim is it's not because they're altruistic. It's because they're getting something out of it and they need to keep their subjects alive. Right. But regardless, <laughs> your point is valid, Amy, that <laughs> they, they did give a healing. I mean, they got a healing. And then yeah. actually, this is a good point to bring up. And I think your audience is probably more open to this than others. The notion of pre-birth planning in all of this. Let me take a few oh, steps yeah. back. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember, yes. <laughs> yeah, pre-birth pre contracts <clears throat> and right. people actually voluntarily agreeing to this on some other spiritual level that they don't remember. It's important to keep in mind. So reincarnation, I would say that is a real phenomenon. There's over 2,500 cases studied at the University of Virginia, children with past life memories. And some of those children also have intermission memories, a period between lives. This is also reported under hypnosis. People that do past life regression, they also do between lives hypnosis regression, where they go to this phase between life, your lives, and the soul is choosing which body to go into mm -hmm. for the degree of learning that might be allowed by entering that body. 
And sometimes it seems to be a full choice of which bodies entered. And sometimes it's like, you have to go into this body because there's certain lessons karmically you have to learn and you're like forced into it. So it's like maybe a mix, but if we apply that to this abduction phenomenon where people seem to be taken against their will onto these crafts, they have procedures done to them, their memories wiped, like these are crazy things happening. Some researchers have brought forth this idea that it's part of a pre-birth contract. Mm. They made a contract to work with these beings before they were born, that they were going to exchange genetic material, for example. That's part of what they were going to do to help whatever things that the beings needed. And actually one woman in the book I mentioned, her name is Niara Isley. In one of her books, she has a transcript of her hypnosis session where she, she actually, I don't remember if this was in the hypnosis session that she transcribed, but in any event, that was her conclusion in this, after all of her personal work, that she agreed to have some of these experiences with other beings before birth. And it was for her soul's growth. And this is a broader spiritual concept that we can have something that seems traumatic and we judge it as bad. We judge suffering as bad, but maybe on some spiritual level, it's helping our evolution. It's helping us balance karma. Maybe we are contributing to other civilizations by contributing genetics. Like there's just so many question marks that we don't know the answer to, to be able to judge what's happening. Now, I'm not suggesting that suffering should just be allowed because like if I see someone on the street suffering, like being murdered, some kind of horrible thing that you just say, oh, well, that's their suffering. Let it happen. I think there's a karmic responsibility to try to help alleviate, but we don't know why someone's going through something. Mm -hmm. It might just, you see what I mean? It's like, Mm -hmm. there's a responsibility on the individual to try to help, but the other person that's going through a trauma that they might not be able to control, it might be happening for a reason that they need. Right. Which is one of the principles you learn as a healer is like waving a magic wand isn't really the best thing when you would miss out on all the lessons that it, that it was trying to teach you and how your body's talking to you and how, like, there's just so much that people discover about themselves when they go through the journey of trying to heal themselves versus me coming along and just being waving magic wand. Not that I can do that, but I always ask people like, cause they come to me thinking I do that, like thinking I can wave a magic wand. And, and some of the shit that I can do, it seems magical. I, I will agree. But ultimately after several sessions, I ask them, aren't you grateful that I didn't just ma- wave a magic wand? And they're, they are grateful. They are glad that they aren't going to repeat this over again, that they are healing themselves on many different levels and finding an awareness and a happiness that they never thought was possible. And they're viewing their past experiences through the lens that it is creating a greater consciousness and awareness, but that their evolution of their soul and spirit is, is much greater than it would be if it was just like it disappeared. So I agree with you hundred percent. And my third book in depth side on Liberty is applying that idea to society because society has this idea that We need to have mommy and daddy government that's just going to come in and take care of everyone. And we assume that they're going to be benevolent, but why should we make that assumption? History says they're not benevolent. And what I argue is that we have to engage in voluntary interactions, explicitly voluntary. Right now, we don't have that with the government. The government imposes stuff. We don't have a contract with them. They provide services that we didn't ask to pay for, right? That's, I know, a challenging concept. But the idea is ultimately what you're describing is that people will engage with others voluntarily. And sometimes they will engage in a way that's not to their benefit. And they should be allowed to do that is what I'm arguing that if that's what they want to do, right. And that's part of their learning. Now we can come along and say, look, I don't think you should do that. It's really going to be dangerous. They have a right to make their own choices and to make mistakes. Oh yeah. And I, I th- but society has a really hard time with that. They say, no, but we can't it out of compassion, mm-hmm. but then out of that compassion, then you end up controlling people. And it's the opposite of compassion. 
Right. Well, that's the thing is like, I will see somebody who definitely could use a gluten-free diet for various reasons. And until they come to me, I cannot really say anything. Like I, they can say that they're uncomfortable and maybe ask me for suggestions or for instance, like I'm talking about Hashimoto, there's certain indications that you could just look at somebody and be like, that's a thyroid thing going on. And one of the top things to offer them is a gluten-free diet. And not that I'm a doctor or anything, but you could just be like, Hey, why don't you look into this or talk to your doctor about that? Or do you really need that pasta or bread? But it's just, some people just don't want to change their circumstances. It's just too great of, it's too hard. And and I recently saw this and, and it's so true. It's like, what's harder being sick or changing your diet? Like, which hard do you want? It's hard. It's hard being gluten-free. It is. It sucks most of the time. But like, I, I love a good slice of bread and a bowl of pasta, but it makes me feel like shit. So I would much rather just avoid it. And so that, but it is hard avoiding it. And sometimes I am unsuccessful in that. And then I pay the consequences of it. And that's okay. Like, but overall I'm going for health. It was hard. Cause like within your own family or something like that, you think you want to help, especially if it's your family. And then some people in your family just don't want your help and that's okay. And you just can sit there and hold space or whatever, and just hope, wish for the best and say like to their higher self, if you want my help at any time, I'm here for you, but this is your journey, not mine. Yeah. And some speculate that that's what's happening at a cosmic level on this planet that there are beings that may, might be able to intervene. They have the power to metaphysically, but because they're so advanced, they recognize that it's for our evolution to yeah. have to evolve on our own without being given all the answers. Otherwise, how are we going to learn? So I, I am very open to that because it, it makes sense. You're right. describing at the micro level of like you interacting with someone else and these beings, maybe it's at the cosmic level right. of look, these earthlings had to go through the healing on, they have to evolve on their own mm-hmm. and it requires being very individually responsible and motivated. And I, in our society, that's like a, a bad thing to say. That's what I'm learning. Like people get very upset if you say that we should try to have more responsibility and not be a victim all the time. And it's what you're talking about is exactly that. It's that it's their choice whether they want to be responsible right. and they can suffer the consequences for not being responsible. But like, that's what's going to get us out of it is people taking that initiative on their right. own. It makes me think of like raising a child. If they are like a parent, the alien beings that are more aware and awake than we even are, when I want to give freedom to my son and be like, go off and play or, oh, you think you don't need pants and it's snowing out. Great. Now you're going to find out the hard way. (laughs) Like after I five times told you to put on pants and you are adamant that you don't need them fine, go out and without pants on, see how that feels. And then, so sometimes we do learn the hard way. We do need to experience it. And so that's learning through experience and they're trying to make sure that we don't miss that opportunity. But I think it sounds like based on your book that they're right there, ready to step in just like a parent. Like if, if he started to get like the symptoms of frostbite or something like that, I mean, I'm going to pull him in or maybe I'll give him a few minutes out there and have him be really uncomfortable and be like, okay, let's go in and get pants on. You must get pants on now. And this is why I feel like that the beings are right there, ready to step in if it gets really awful. And that's what's implied with the UFOs and nukes. And, and yeah. the evidence for that, I should mention, Robert Hastings wrote a book. It's called UFOs and Nukes. It came out in 2017-ish. It's 500 pages long, something like that, of just case after case of very credible people at these nuclear weapons facilities who describe what was going on with the countdowns of the weapon that was they were being turned on and off without their consent. So there was a UFO or some technology that was doing this. 
and then the emergency was averted. So it might be that these beings are sending a warning. That was his takeaway, mm. either by turning it on or off, by saying like, don't mess around with this stuff. Right. And one of the theories that I talk about in the book is that the technology of a nuclear weapon the detonation impacts other dimensions, which right. impacts these other beings. That's Edward Teller apparently said that the who invented the hydrogen bomb or was instrumental in that. Apparently he said that it was it had interdimensional effects. So these beings starting in the 1940s era were like, we got to intervene more because they can't mess around with these nukes. Right. That, that was the other thing that was so cool. It was like, there's more of them now because of the technology that was developed. Like they started showing up around the same time to be like, please don't play around with this. <laughs> Right. Like, yeah, that was really interesting. And the other thing that was interesting was I remember the story of a guy that was going to shoot down one of the UFOs and his equipment was disabled before he could shoot it down. And then as soon as the UFO got far enough away, like his equipment started working again. Right. I mean, what the F? <laughs> So crazy. But you know what? Like, Mark, I'm going to be honest. I can mess with electrical equipment too. Like I have started dead batteries in cars. Like I have shut down treadmills when I'm sick. I've burnt out watches and phones and things like that. I obviously don't have the sophistication that they do, but like, I can imagine that it is possible. Like when my energy gets too high, like this light in front of me will flicker. I found out my sister was sick and like, I ran upstairs to go like start packing and the light above me blew out. And then actually when I came back and I was standing there and I was unpacking everything, it turned back on <laughs> with me just standing. Like, I was like, ah, oh, damn, I got to change out that light bulb. I'll get to it or whatever. And then it just was like, bing. I'm like, okay. So it is possible to, to influence these things. And I mean, I, the other thing is, is people think that I read their mind. I'm just reading the energy mm, Yeah. all the time. They think that I'm reading their mind. It's their energy. It's, I did once see a thought leave somebody's head and that's what started this whole thing, but I didn't know what the thought was because I wasn't advanced enough. But now, I mean, I literally, it looks like I'm reading somebody's mind, but it's all just the energy that their body's giving off. Right. So imagine what these beings could do. Right. If you right, were super tapped into it. And I want to give two anecdotes here that I think are important. Yeah, sure. Number one is in the study on people coming back from near-death experiences and UFO encounters, one of the commonalities is malfunctioning of electrical equipment. So something happens energetically to people when they enter these other higher dimensions, if you want to call them, and then come right. back. Mm -hmm. That's important. And the second one is one of the stories I told from Dr. Dean Radin, the Institute of Noetic Sciences chief scientist. He was I doing- him long time ago. Go ahead. Possibly. He's like famous for- his amazing work on all these mostly statistical studies. He wrote a book called Entangled Minds that's really famous. But the one that I am talking about is, I believe it was work he did for his book, Super Normal, but it was one he talked about recently on a podcast. He was evaluating Swami Veda, so this very advanced guru. Right. I remember that. And he was asking Swami Veda to influence with his mind a light beam which is psychokinesis. That's something Dean Radin and many others have shown to be real statistically in the lab. So they show that something beyond chance is happening when people put their mental attention to something. So they wanted to look at someone really spiritually advanced to see what would happen. Like, yeah, he, he had been meditating 70 years. Right. Like this was a really advanced guy. And what happened was in the middle of the experiment, both Dean Radin and the cameraman they basically switched off, just like what happens in a UFO encounter when they don't think to take out their camera. Something happened where their consciousness was altered, and then it went back to normal. And when Dean Radin was asking Swami Veda about it, apparently the time at which he went into his zone of consciousness to alter the light beam was the same time that everyone in the room 
went, was switched off mentally where their consciousness was altered. So, and the way he described it, Swami Veda, the way he told it to Dean Radin was that when he goes inward, he pointed to his heart. It's about yeah. going there that that was enabled. So there's something about that, that we can do this and these beings probably just are better at it, that we can do it by entering a different higher state and the world around us can change in these ways. Mm. Yeah. I love that. He had said that he went into his heart space and that's how he did it. It wasn't part of his mind, which, you know, I, I, that's how I got into this. And where's my mind really, your podcast really struck me. That's why I started listening to it is because I remember the moment when I saw how somebody whose brain was basically gone, he could recall his entire lifetime. And it's like, if his brain is basically gone or like in the near death experiences, where is this energy and information? It's in the field of the person, not in the brain. So all of this is just so fascinating. I, I really appreciate you bringing all of this together for us. So many hours of research. I can't even imagine so much passion. The, the way that you put things together seamlessly, I'm like, you take us on a journey. And even for me, this was hard for me to like, be like, okay, I'm going to read. I, I've read it because I love you and I love everything you do. So I'm like, why wouldn't I love this? That got me there. Yeah. And then I, I'm like reading it. I'm like, oh man, how have we not? I mean, literally they, <laughs> sorry. They, they, <laughs> they, they talked about like high people, like Israeli, what the hell space chief, something or other was like, yeah, there's a galactic federation what? Why isn't this everywhere? A galactic federation, excuse me? Can, we, can, you, can you go on, please? In NB, on NBC News reported this in 2020. Yeah. But it's <laughs> like over people's heads. It's like, why is that? We're talking about the dumbest shit like Kim Kardashian and Kanye West got divorced. That's what makes the news. It's like, how about that there's a galactic federation and they're working with us? <laughs> Yeah. So what does that say about our society? That's where my mind goes. What's yeah. happening where there's this suppression, but it's even beyond suppression. It's the point where people just don't even care. Yeah. They, like, they'll read about it and say, oh, well, I'm going to go watch TV. Yeah. So that blew my mind that that was admitted. I mean, I've heard about the Galactic Federation. Spiritual people talk about it all the time. People channel information from the Galactic Federation, but to hear somebody high up talk about it or the people on Mars, what? Right. Wasn't that what I was, was that in your book? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like guys get his book, read it. It will blow your mind. It'll change your perception <laughs> of everything. Like, I mean, just like a page after page. I mean, like I said, I was reading it next to Fennel. She was reading something else. And I'd be like, you got to pause. I, <laughs> I got to tell you this. It'll blow your mind, change your perspective on things. I do think that Mark, first of all, he's always working for the light, which is great. We need to know this stuff. We need to know what's out there. We need to know what we're dealing with. Follow him on Facebook. His stories are great for uh, sharing the how upside down our world is, what's going on and who's bringing the light and how policies are changing because it's important to know. Like he keeps me very informed. So thank you very much. I often send screenshots to other people I know about things that you've posted and being like, woohoo, like, or like, oh my God, look at this. Well, I should add on that. I, I do it on Instagram too. It's Mark Gober author, but my reach has been significantly uh, hampered oh, by the oh, platform. Sure. Yeah. So you have to actually go to my, it doesn't show up on your own stories. You have to go to my, my actual page and click on it. But I, I started a telegram channel. It's yes, Mark Gober that's official. That's probably a better idea. Yeah. And I, there's even stuff I don't share on Facebook or Instagram just because the, the algorithms don't allow you to I know, say certain I can, things. Honestly, I can't believe you've been on this song. <laughs> Yeah. Well, it's just that online, a lot of people see them. I'm surprised that you were able well, to. I think. Yeah, no, I know you actually, <laughs> they know that I like you. So like I keep clicking on your stuff. So okay. that's why I get to see it. But honestly, every day I'm like, when is this the last day? <laughs> 
honestly yeah. i love you but i'm like we gotta find other ways to connect but i'm not on telegram just simply because i just was like i can't handle another platform but i probably should move over because it's where there's more information yeah well for those interested it's mark gober official and i share i basically allow people to be on the research journey with me of just seeing what's going on in the world because when I see something interesting, it's usually something that blows me away in our culture that I'm like, I can't believe this is happening. Mm-hmm. I'll just share the story. I'm not even commenting most of the time. Right. And no, sometimes, yeah, I just neutral. like, this is what's happening. <laughs> you do the math. Yourself. Yeah, you do the <laughs> yeah. math. Right. I love that. Uh, so, but also if I listen to an interesting interview, Telegram allows you to actually share the link to the YouTube video or something. So I post stuff like that there too. And it's not a, there might be a hundred people right now on it, but I still do it just to, yeah, you never know. Great. No, I know. Be impacted. Mark, thank you so much for being on the show. Is there anything else you want to share with us? Thank you for having me and for all the work you're doing. That's what oh, I'd say. Thank you. We covered a lot of ground. I think this stuff is so important. I don't know how else to say it. Yeah. All this stuff. I mean, the things that I talk about in all four of my books, whether you read them in my books or other places, understanding our place in the universe as spiritual beings is essential. That's really my first book. The second book is how should we think about living the philosophy behind that? Because it's not it's not obvious if you ju- just under having an understanding that we're spiritual beings, I don't think it's sufficient to understand how to then live and prioritize because there's so much nuance in that. And then thinking about the governmental structures of how upside down they are, mm-hmm. and then realizing that we're not alone in the implications. It's so mind expanding. Mm-hmm. It's almost like before this journey for me, it was living, looking through a little tube and that was my world. And you take the edges off of that tube and see how much else is out there. That's what this process is like. Yep. I was there 16 years ago when I started seeing and knowing things that I shouldn't know. And then beings came to me and blew my mind. And I was just like you, I got to tell everybody. And here I have a podcast now. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks to you for, for making me feel like somebody can do it right. That was how I felt like your podcast was so informative and talked about things that I was interested in and came from a lens of the researcher, scientific perspective, real legitimate people were interviewed around these experiences and it just inspired me. So thank you. I love hearing that. You're welcome. And I I think we all have our own style and spin, our uniqueness that we bring forward in different ways. And that's the beauty of it, that we bring information forward in different ways. And the other thing I would say that's coming up right now is not judging the extent of our perceived reach in this process. So your audience might be listening right now and it's like, oh, well, Mark and Amy are talking about this. They are able to reach more people because of their platforms and the stuff they've put out. What impact do I have not having that sort of a platform? And I do think everyone has a big impact because of the spheres that you inhabit. And you don't know how impactful it might be when you talk to your friend or family member and you tell them something that flips a switch that Mm -hmm. then influences the way that they interact with other people your one conversation might have more of an impact than this entire interview had. Like you don't know what's mm-hmm. going to impact people. So I, I give that preface because we don't know the, how powerful our own spheres can be. And that's my encouragement, I guess, to everyone. Absolutely. And it has to do with David Hawkins' scale of consciousness. I mean, if you keep raising your consciousness and you keep beaming that light out, it does change other people around you. And in ways that you might not be familiar with or aware of, I mean, there are times that I, like today, I got a message that from somebody who was listening to my podcast and he, this person said, you're going to change my life. I already listened to a couple of them and like, I already can feel it. Sometimes I'm like, ah, I'm not reaching enough people. I go through the human feelings to get those messages is amazing. And like I said, the more we raise our consciousness, our energy alone will change the people around us. 
because they're like, what, what, like when Harry met Sally, like, what is she having? Like that she's so happy. Yeah. Like, I want to have a little bit of that. Just keep doing you and, and being authentic and raising your vibration and being awake and aware and facing the hard things and releasing that trauma and rearranging your particular activating system to see how the world is working for you, not happening to you. So Mark, God bless everything you're doing. You're amazing. I just, I'm so proud to know you and be afforded this opportunity to interview now the fourth time. Every time is always so much fun. So thank you for being here. Thank you again, Amy. All content provided by Amy Stark and or her guests on the Stark Transformation Show website or other platforms, including text, images, audio, or other formats, are created for informational purposes only. Always seek the advice of a physician or qualified health provider with any questions you have regarding a medical condition. Amy Stark is not a doctor or a therapist.